hope you're good this morning. Are you good? I trust that you're well. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Pastor and Tracy, that, that's weird, mom and dad, are, um, they're in North Carolina ministering uh, this morning, and they, they went up Friday, and they've been doing a weekend there with the church. And um, so, if, you know, as you think about it, just keep them in your prayers. Um, they'll be traveling back this afternoon. But we are here in the house at Legacy, at our local church. And you know what? God is moving here just like he's moving in North Carolina. And um, I'm excited to be with you here this morning. I'm excited to have the privilege to speak. I never take it for granted, but I know that, that the Lord has put a word on my heart to share with you. And I'm just, I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. I love my church family. I love it. I love you guys. I love you guys, and I'm so excited to be back here and to be in Charleston and taking the church forward, and, and we're, all just, um, we're all just together. We're a team, you know, and, um, and the church is moving forward. We're strong, and we're healthy, and um, God's just doing incredible things. Well, um, if you brought your Bibles this morning, which I trust that you did, um, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 10? Getting into a bit of the Old Testament back in the day. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 24. And I'm just going to, I'll read this uh, real quick, and you can read it along with me. Exodus chapter 10, verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Let's just, uh, let's just pray before we get started this morning. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning, Father God. We thank you that your spirit's here, that you're going to do amazing things this morning, Father God. We trust that you are going to minister to the hearts of your people, Father God. As I bring the word this morning, I pray that it is not just my voice that people hear, but it is the divine voice of the Holy Spirit that people are going to be connecting with this morning, Father God. Lord, I pray that this morning we would not just gather a whole lot of information, even though that's good, Father. I pray that we would receive impartation this morning, that we would receive revelation this morning, and that we would be able to apply it to our lives and that um, we would continue to grow in our walk with you um, based on the things that we're going to be learning and catching a hold of this morning. Father God, I thank you that you're here. I thank you for these committed people to your house. In your name we ask it. Amen. 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 Well, this morning, if um, you're taking notes and you want a title, you can title this message, The Power of Your Sacrifice. The Power of Your Sacrifice. And today, I'm, I'm hoping that as we go through a few different scriptures and read a few different stories, I'm hoping that you're really going to dig deep and catch some things. I think it's so important that as we read the Bible, that we just don't read it over and, and, um, and just walk away with little um, you know, tidbits of, of this and that. You know, a lot of times when we grow up and we hear Sunday school stories, we don't get the whole story. We just get um, what's the basic principle teaching there. But, you know, you need to read the before and after to understand what really is going on and, and the context of, of what is taking place. And so that's what I'm hoping that you grab a hold of this morning. And so um, here we are in, in chapter 10 of Exodus, verse 24. And, um, and what's going on here is in verse 24, Pharaoh looks at Moses, and, and for those of you who are familiar with this story, um, they just finished the ninth plague of Egypt, which was darkness, and, and Pharaoh's about had it. I mean, he is about had it. He is sick of all these plagues, and Moses comes to him another time and says, will you let my people go? And Pharaoh says to him, you know what? Forget it. Just get out of here. I'm sick of this. 
go. But then, in verse 27, three verses later, it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and then he says, nope, you can't go anymore. I'm not going to let you go. And as I read that, I think to myself, what in the world, in the span of three verses, could have caused him to totally change his mind? He, he totally changed his mind, because I look here in verse 24, and Pharaoh says four things. He says four things here in verse 24. Number one, he says, go. He says, Moses, I'm sick. I'm sick of seeing you. I'm sick of talking to you. Just go. Number two, he says, serve the Lord. I don't care if you serve Egyptian gods anymore. I don't care who you serve. If you want to serve the Lord, that's fine with me. Go serve the Lord. At the end of the verse, he says another thing. He says, take, um, he says let your little ones also go with you. He's saying, take your descendants. You know what? I, take your children. Take everyone that belongs to you in your house and get out of here. But then the fourth thing, I find it a bit funny and a bit odd. He says, let your flocks and your herds be left back. So he's saying, leave your sheep and leave your cattle. Now, why on earth? And, and as, I, as I play this out in my head, I'm thinking, you know what? The conversation between Pharaoh and Moses was probably a bit longer than, you know, three or four sentences. But why did Moses feel it necessary to make sure that that was written down, that that was written down for us? And so, um, to, to leave your animals. Why did Pharaoh say, leave your animals? Well, let's understand a bit of history right now. Egypt, at this time, is probably the most powerful nation on earth. They are the most powerful. Their military is superb. And back then, you have to realize that power was judged by a few things. It was judged by, number one, it was judged by land. Number two, it was judged by gold and riches. And number three, it was judged by flocks and herds, how much, how much cattle and sheep you had. That's how wealth was judged. So my point being, Egypt was not hurting for cattle. They weren't hurting for flocks. It's not like Pharaoh was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a sweet deal out of this. You leave your sheep with me because, you know, we need some. Egypt did not need a thing from Moses and the Israelites. So therefore, why would he change his mind? As I read and as I dig deep, because that's what you got to do, you got to dig deep. I realized that Pharaoh knew something that Moses knew. Pharaoh knew something that Moses knew. Pharaoh knew that it was the sacrifices that kept God's people in right standing with God. It was their sacrifice that restored them back to the Lord. And um, today we're going to learn four, uh, we're going we're to focus on four different points about sacrifice. And right here is number one. Number one, to get free and stay free, you can never lose your sacrifice. You can never lose your sacrifice. You see, Pharaoh was willing to let the people go. Sure, Moses, go. It's cool with me. Go have your fun. Because he knew that without sacrifice, they might be free, but they ain't going to stay free. He knew they wouldn't stay free. You see, Pharaoh was willing to take the risk. I'd have taken the risk too. Because even Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, understood the power of sacrifice. But you know, what else, what else do we understand here in these verses? What else does sacrifice give us? Well, in verse 26, Moses said about halfway down, he said, even though we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Until we arrive there. There tells me Moses don't even know where they're going. Moses does not have a clue. Now, Moses has a promise that the Lord's going to lead his people into another land. But Moses doesn't have a map Moses isn't going to hop into his Chevy truck and hit the OnStar button and find out where he is and where he's going. 
Like, none of that's going to happen. Moses doesn't have a clue. He knows he's about to go into a wilderness, a hot, dry, dark, lonely wilderness. And you know what, man? God better be with us. God, God better protect us. He better watch over us. We need these flocks and these herds. Why? Number two, because if there is no sacrifice, there is no hedge. There is no protection. You see, Moses knew that the wilderness is tough, man. It ain't no picnic in the wilderness. And right now, he, he's, he's leading a nation of people. He's going to lead millions upon millions of people. And like he's leading them through a scary, vulnerable wilderness. And you might say, well, Clay, why on earth would the wilderness be vulnerable when there's four million plus people stretching? Isn't, isn't there like strength in numbers? Well, you know what? Maybe that's true. But it's vulnerable because, because well, let me just say it like this. Um, how many of you remember the story of Nehemiah? Okay, let me, let me just set this up real quick. Nehemiah was in exile, right? Comes back from exile only to find the city of Jerusalem totally burnt down. The wall is broken. It's totally in ruin. And what does he do? He, he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and he cries out to God. God, I need, we need to rebuild this wall. Well, then I, I think to myself, why is it so important to rebuild the wall, Nehemiah? What, what is so significant about the wall? Two things about the wall. Number one, a wall is protection, obviously. It protects the enemy from getting in and whatever you want to keep in, it protects you in. A wall will make you strong. But number two, a wall gives God a clear place to rule and reign over his people. You see, when the wall was built, when Nehemiah built the wall, it gave the Spirit of the Lord a place to settle in Jerusalem. Because you know what? Foreign nations were not serving the Lord God. But when that wall, God says, you know what? I'm going to rest in this place. That was the significance of the wall, is that the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest in this place. But you know what? There ain't no walls in the desert. As the Israelites are treaching through the wilderness, there ain't no walls in the desert. No, sir. You see, their sacrifice became their walls. It was their sacrifice that became their protection, and it was their sacrifice that gave God the ability to rule and reign over his people in the wilderness. See, Moses understood we have got to take these herds and these flocks with us. If, if we can't take them, we might as well not even go. Because in a wilderness, you are totally vulnerable to the attack of other nations. You are totally vulnerable to famine, to drought, to so many different things. Moses knew Pharaoh, you know what, we, forget it. We won't leave if we, don't give our, if we don't get our sacrifices with us. You see, when we lose our sacrifice, we lose our barriers and our walls against the enemy. We lose it all. Sacrifice is what keeps those walls up. Are we, are we creating within ourselves a spirit of sacrifice? Sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. It is so important. It is so important. Are you, are you beginning to kind of catch what sacrifice is? I'm hoping that today that you, that you walk away with a new revelation, a new understanding of what sacrifice is and what it does in our lives. Number three, your sacrifice puts a blessing on your household. Your sacrifice puts a blessing on your household. Now, if you would, please turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 10. And I'll just read it and you can follow along. 
So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and, it, and all of his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Now, if you don't know what the ark of God was, what it was is, is the ark of God represented sacrifice for the entire Israelite nation. It represented sacrifice. The ark of God was like this giant, giant box, and, and they would keep um, special particular articles within this box. But on the top, there were these two cherubim that stood on, on, the, on the top of the, of the ark, and, the, and their wings would touch. And in the middle right there was what they called the mercy seat. And once a year, the priest would come into the holy of holies, the most holy place, and he would offer sacrifice on behalf of the entire nation. He would pour the blood right there on the mercy seat and offer the sacrifice. So the ark represented sacrifice. So when David allowed the ark the sacrifice, to rest in the house of Obed-Edom, he was blessed. You see, when you center your house around sacrifice, God's going to bless it. God is going to pour favor on it. It's his nature. God cannot do, he, he, he cannot do, um, he can't go against his nature. God cannot go against his nature. That's who he is. That's what he does. And when he sees a place of sacrifice, he's got to command a blessing. He's got to pour out favor. It's what he does. And so when he saw this sacrifice resting in the household, he had to pour out a blessing upon it. You know what, parents, are, are we raising up a generation of young people that understand sacrifice, that understand what it means, like that understand the basic precepts of being in the word, um, giving of themselves, giving of their finance, and, and, and really just focusing in on sacrifice? Are we raising up a generation that understands like that? We want so bad for God to bless what we're doing, to bless our children. And that's not wrong. God wants so much to bless each and every one of us. But are we centering our households around sacrifice? I think that's so important. You know what? A lot of times, even in Australia, um, when I was mentoring some students there, parents would come up and they would say to me, um, man, Clay, I don't understand what is wrong with my boy. I tell him this, I tell him that, I tell him this, I tell him he doesn't need to be sleeping around. I tell him he doesn't need to be doing drugs. I tell him he needs to be in church, and I tell him this. You know what? You can tell your kids everything. You can tell them stuff till Jesus comes, but telling them ain't going to fix any problems. Until they begin to understand and grasp the hold of revelation and biblical precepts, such as sacrifice, man, you're just wasting breath. Just, just shut your mouth because you're just wasting breath. You, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, I think that, um, and you know what, I'm not a parent, and so I can't speak on behalf of parents, I guess, but I can just say a few things that maybe I've seen. And that is, I think there's a generation of parents right now who want to be cool. They want to be cool parents. My parents weren't cool. They were boring. I didn't want to, I didn't want to bring my friends to my house. God, no way. I did not want them to meet my folks. So I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be a cool parent, man. When my, when my kids bring people over, we're going to hang out. They're going to love me. And, um, and when, there's a generation of parents who want to be cool, so maybe they're a bit more lenient, and, um, and they don't necessarily push the things of God. They don't want to damper any situation. They don't want to rain on anybody's parade and stuff like that. They're trying to be cool, man. But you know what? Then there comes an age 
about 18 years old, when your kid's leaving the house, and I see parents doing this, oh, shoot, oh, shoot, I got to get some Jesus into them right before they leave the house. They're about to go off to college. I'm not going to be there, you know, at the end of every night. And, and you know what? If you're waiting until they're 18 and leaving the house, you're probably too late. Now, I don't want to say that God can't restore the years because he can, but I'm just saying you probably wasted a lot of time there. These kind of precepts, this kind of understanding of sacrifice and being in the Word, you gotta, you got to start young with this kind of stuff. The Word says, train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. It doesn't say, send them off with a good pat on the back and some Jesus love right before they go to college. It doesn't say that because it doesn't work that way. This stuff has to be practiced year in, year out. You don't just learn this in a month right before you go off to a university. It doesn't work that way. And a lot of parents get so confused, they don't understand. I tell them, I tell them. You know, quit telling them. I'm sure they're sick of it, and it ain't doing any good. Quit telling them and get them into the Word and get them into these precepts. Number four. The fourth thing we're going to learn about sacrifice, and I'm going to spend just a little bit of extra time on this right now. And um, number four is the place of sacrifice attracts the Lord. The place of sacrifice attracts the Lord. And for you guys to, um, to really understand this, we're going to go to a familiar passage. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you would, turn there because there's some stuff that you really need to look at. You can hear my voice and you can probably get it, but when you're looking at it, I have a feeling that you're going to walk away with a, a, bit, a bit more. 1 Kings chapter 18. But this is what I'm talking about. With a passage like this, it's important to know what's happening at the beginning and end of the normal story that we hear. So let me set this up for you guys real quick. Chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Now, let's just, let's just grab a bit of history right here. Now, there had been a famine in the land, but even more so, the word tells us, or down here in the Jack Hayford cheat notes, it tells me that there had been a drought in the land, a drought for three years. <clears throat> three years is a long time to have a drought. And now, in the Middle East, when you're having a drought, it ain't good. It's not like there's a nearby massive water system. You know, it, it's either salt water or the Dead Sea. You don't necessarily want to drink that stuff. The, the wells have run dry. There is no water. You know, there, there just is none for three years. Water is a very precious thing right now. And you know what? People, they're starting to think that, you know what, man, God is just mean. God is holding back the water. What is going on? He is mean. But what the people don't understand is that it was because of their Baal worship that the wells have run dry. And so here, here Elijah is, and he's coming into town. Now let me say this. Elijah ain't exactly winning popularity contests right now on the earth. You see, when Elijah would rock up to your town, he wasn't necessarily coming to bring a delightful, ear-tickling message from the Lord. That's, that's just not how he rolled most times. He would come in, and, ch and chances are he's coming to rebuke, and he's coming to set some things straight. He's the prophet. He's the man of God. And, and, and in this specific situation, it was Elijah who had prophesied the drought three years earlier. So him coming back, the people, in are, they're not exactly going to receive him too well. You know, because it, it was him that caused their water to run dry. And now this jerk's going to want to come back and talk to me. I don't want to listen to it. 
And so, so let's look right here. In, um, in verse 17, then it happened that Ahab, Ahab was the king, saw Elijah. And Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? <laughs> oh, shoot. If I was Ahab, I would learn to shut my mouth right about now. Here comes the prophet of the Lord. The spirit of God rests on this man. And he's going to shoot off his mouth and say something like this, real sarcastic. Oh, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And you know what Elisha says? Hold your tongue, buddy. Hold your tongue. And then he answers in, in uh, verse 18. I have not troubled Israel, but you and your fathers have. And that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Oh, shoot, it is on now. Elijah, he's done ticked off, and he has come to clean house. He has come to clean house. And you know what I, I love about Elijah is that he's like, he's like borderline cocky, like real confident. You know, and he just, he just shows up, and he knows he's the man. He knows he's the man. And he, you know, like if cocky was a 10, he's pulling in like a 9.5. And, um, and, you know, he shows up, and, and what does he say here? He says, gather the 450 prophets. You know what? I, I, I want to make things fair, Ahab. You know what? I, I'm, I'm the prophet of the Lord, and it's just me. I, di I didn't bring my boys with me this time. And so, um, you know, I want to make things fair. Let's go up, and uh, why don't you gather together, let's see, me versus, um, you know, why don't you just grab 450 of the nearest false prophets, and we're going to go dance. You know, like, how cocky. Just one versus 450, but I love it. I love it that he knew that the Spirit of God walked with him. All right, so what's next? Let's read in verse 20. So now Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Now what that says to me here now is that this ain't going to be a backyard picnic in Ahab's backyard. This is now an event. All of Israel is going to show up for this showdown here on top of the mountain. And Elijah's loving it. This is the best publicity he could get. I mean, all of Israel is now going to show up and witness, witness this showdown. So Elijah, he's going to start out right now, and he starts with a little speech. You know, every, every great man who's about to do an incredible thing, you've got to start out with a little bit of a speech. You know, like Mel Gibson and Braveheart. You know, you've got to fire up the troops and stuff like that. And so what does he say right now? He just says a little something to the people. He says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Hey, but if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. That's probably the smartest thing I've heard so far. When God's about to do something, he's about to move. How many of you know the smartest thing to do sometimes is just to shut your mouth? Just don't say anything. And the people answered him not a word. So smart, man. The people are smarter than Ahab, their king. And so the people did not say a word. But what's next? All right, here we go. Elijah throws out the terms. Here's the terms. He says, all right, you guys, you build your altar and then in verse 24, then you call on the name of your gods. And then I'm going to build my altar. Then I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. And whoever's God answers by fire, he is God. And he says, is that cool with you guys? Is that cool? And they're like, yeah, that's cool. Sure, let's do this thing. And then, and then Elijah goes, well, you know what? Um, you know, I'm new in town. You know, I don't live here. And um, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to be presumptuous and, and steal all the thunder. I'm going to let you guys go first. I'm going to let you guys have at it. I'm just, I'm just going to sit over here. I brought a book to read, and I'm just going to watch as you, guys, as you guys go for it. This is cool, man, and go for it. You guys just have at it, and they're like, oh, thanks. All right, appreciate it. And, um, and so they go, and here they go. 
The false prophets start, they build their altar, and they're yelling, they're dancing around like idiots. They're cutting themselves. They're crying out to all these different gods of Baal. And you know what they get? They get nothing. They get absolutely nothing. And down here in the cheat notes again, it tells me they did this for six hours. For six hours, they were dancing around. They were yelling. They were crying out to these false gods, and they got absolutely nothing. But you know what? Then I love it because Elijah ain't going to stop there. It's too good now. There's too many people around. He's going to get a bit more cocky. And what does he say right here in verse 27? He says, cry aloud, for is he a god? Either he is meditating or maybe he's busy. Or is your god on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and he must not want to be awakened. You know, he's going to rub it in their face. Not only is he going to let them dance and get sweaty and tired for six hours, but he's going to have a bit of fun while they're doing it. And he's going to throw this in their face. He's going to be cocky. And, and they're like, you know what, man? You, know, you think you can do a better job? Go ahead. It's your turn. And, and Elijah just gives up. Gladly. Here I go. And he goes over. And what does he do? Here we go. He does, he does a few things first. He, he builds his altar with 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So he builds his altar. But then the next thing I find so interesting, and uh, we're going to read in verse 33. So he builds the altar. Then it says, he says to a, a servant, he says, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. And so they did it a third time. So water ran all around the altar and also filled the trench with water. He had built a trench around the sacrifice as well. So this thing is soaking wet with water. And, and I look at this, and I think, as I, as I read this story before, I thought, man, here's what he's doing. Elijah is pouring water on this thing because that's just going to show that God is way cool, that God can start a fire on water because like, that's really hard. Because, I, I mean, I don't know a lot of people who can start a fire on water. So he's going to prove not only is fire going to fall, but it's going to fall on water. That's going to be really cool. Everyone's going to be really super impressed. But you see, when you read deep, you realize that's not what's taking place here. You see, water was the sacrifice. They had been in a drought for three years. There is no water. There is no wells running with water. Water was the sacrifice. Somehow, someway, Elijah scrounged together 12 pots of water to completely soak this thing and fill a trench. And so when the people saw this, they weren't thinking in their head, oh man, this is going to be cool, a fire falls in this water. They're thinking to themselves, why on God's green earth is he wasting this water? Why is he, does, not, does he not know? Did he not see the signs coming into town? We don't have water. We don't have water, certainly not to waste and to just pour on an altar and pour on the ground. What is he doing? But you know what? Let's, let's finish the story. 37 through 38. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah kills the false prophets. And normally we stop there and we're like, God won. God won, baby. He took them. He took them. The fire fell. He consumed the sacrifice. Let's all go home. That's cool. 
But the story does not stop there. The story does not stop there. we got to read past that. What happens the very next thing? Verse 41. Then Elijah says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Now check this out. As soon as the sacrifice is done, Elijah says to Ahab, there's a sound coming of abundance of rain. And so they go up even further to another place on the mountain. And in, in verse 43, we're going to look, 43 through 45. And, he, and Elijah looks at his servant, and he says now, he says, go up now towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said seven times, go again. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rains stop you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. And there was a heavy rain. You see, the prophecy way back here in the beginning of chapter 18 was that Elijah, go to Ahab, tell him that rain is coming. But yet, when the fire falls on the sacrifice, we want to end the story there. But the prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. When we read further on, we have to read till the prophecy was fulfilled. And right here in verse 45, and there was a heavy rain prophecy fulfilled right there. Now, there's something I want you to check out. You see, the nation, the nation needed rain. Right? They, they needed water. They needed it so bad, drought for three years, the nation needed water. So Elijah, he sacrificed water. And let me, let me say this again because some of you are going to catch this right here. The nation needed water, so Elijah sacrificed water. See, that's funny. That's funny. That's a weird concept there. We're not used to that. Lord God, I, I need finance, Lord God, I need provision, I need money, I need it now. I, I need finance, so therefore I must need to sacrifice finance. It's, it's so funny. But we need to learn to sacrifice that which we need. Elijah knew there was no water. The people knew there was no water. But he knew that, you know what, I serve the God who owns the water. I serve the God who made the water. You know, uh, perhaps, you, you know, you're saying, and, and I just use finance because a lot of people can relate to that because everyone uses finance. And so, you know, perhaps you're saying, you know, Lord God, I, 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 can, I can tithe right now, Lord. I, I think I can tithe because, you know, your, your word commands it, so I, I need to do it. And I want to live under a blessing. And, you know, Malachi chapter 3 says that if I bring my tithe into the storehouse that, you know, you're going to command a blessing there. I need to do that. But, you know, right now I don't really see my family at a place to where we can, we can really give above and beyond that. I don't know that we can necessarily um, give any more. Well, let me just ask you a question real quick. And I'm not here to condemn, but how bad do you need water? How bad do you need water? If... If you just want to give God, and, and whether it be finance, whether it be anything, if you just want to give God the minimum, then don't necessarily be surprised when he just gives you the minimum water you need to get you through the end of the week, to get you through the end of the month. But when you know, God, I need some water, and I need it bad, and you're willing to sacrifice 
and, and, and make it an actual sacrifice, then you know what? He's going to come through. He's going to pull through every single time. How bad do you need water? Lord God, restore my marriage. Restore, restore my friendships. Mend my family, Lord God. Mend it. I, I need peace. God, I need you to bring peace to my situation right now, Lord. Well, then you know what? Quit sowing hatred, bitterness, and unforgiveness and start sacrificing peace, kindness, patience, and joy. You need to start sacrificing those things. You know what? I know you ain't got it. I know you ain't got peace within you. That's why it's a sacrifice. Hello? I know you ain't got the finance. That's what makes it a sacrifice. And when we sacrifice to God, he comes through. If you had it, you wouldn't be asking for it. I'm not stupid. But when we sacrifice, he's going to pull through. The people didn't have water. They didn't have it. But Elijah knew that his God was the God of water, that my God's going to provide, so he sacrificed it. When you know that, when you know that he's going to come through, it makes it a whole lot easier to sacrifice. I don't have finance, but I know my God is the God of finance. I know that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that, that, that his riches and glory are, are beyond um, my comprehension. And that when you understand that you serve a God who, uh, who owns that, I serve a God who wants to pour that out on his people, man, the sacrifice is so much easy, so much easier. The Lord is attracted to the place of sacrifice. He is so attracted to it. And you know what? This morning you're probably going to love me because we're probably going to finish early. <laughs> so I thought, I thought my first time back I'm going to win some popularity votes. And, um, but, but now as we come in for, for a landing right here, I just want to say a few things. I just want to say, number one, um, well, in, in closing, that Elijah sacrificed the water, but it didn't stop there. You see, a lot of times um, people feel like, I made the sacrifice, that, that's the end, right? Now God's going to pull through. That, that's not true. That we, don't, we don't see that right here. He made the sacrifice, but it does not say that fire fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice, and then rain fell. It, do, it doesn't say that. You can't read into something that's not there. You have to read it and understand it all. What does it say? Well, in the following verses, I see three things. And write these down because these are so important. We're going to need to understand these three things about what needs to take place after the sacrifice. Number one, even though we have a promise for God's provision, I mean, even though we have sacrificed you do not need to stop praying for its fulfillment. You do not need to stop praying for it. See, we, we see right here that as soon as, um, as, soon as the, the sacrifice was consumed, Elijah immediately went up to another place on the mountain and began to pray. He immediately began to pray. You can't just say, I, oh, I sacrificed. And even though sacrificing is good, bless your heart, you sacrificed. But don't let it stop there. you got to pray to see that thing out. you got to pray to see that thing fulfilled. Number two, in the midst of your prayer, you need to keep persistence in your prayer life. It says here, right here in, um, in verse 43, Elijah had to pray and send the servant back seven times. Seven times, we're talking about the man of God here. We're talking about the prophet of the Lord on the earth. There is none like him. No one is doing the miracles. No one is, is doing the things that Elijah is doing. And yet he still had to pray seven times. 
I'm sure that was a little frustrating because I know that if I had just had this overwhelming victory, I'd have been like, I'm the man today. I'm the, does anyone need healing? Come forward right now. I shall lay hands on you, and we will see great miracles. I'd be feeling pretty good. God just pulled through for me in front of all these people, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of, of people sitting around watching this happen. I feel so good, and it was just me. There ain't, no, there ain't like anyone help me. It, it was just me. I'm feeling good. But yet he still felt the need to pray over and over and over. That's humbling. That's humbling. When you have just made a sacrifice beyond sacrifices, and yet God is still requiring you to pray more than once, to pray and seek him out more than once. And, it, and that's for the prophet of God. And, and, and you know what? So how much more maybe are we going to have to be persistent in what we want and what we want to see God come through on? Persistence is a key. Persistence in your prayer life. Number three. We need to understand the necessity of faith. Understand the necessity of faith. You see, Elijah knew that he knew that he knew that his answer was coming even before it was actually answered. He knew it. He knew, all right, now I need to go to the mountain, I need to pray, but God has already, God's going to pull through. He sent the fire. That's a sign that he's on my side right now. He's going to pull through. I have faith. I have faith to believe. My answer is coming. He knew the answer was coming even before the answer got there. And you know, that's just like, I, maybe, that's, maybe that's a word for, for us here at Legacy right now. Because, you know, Pastor has recently been talking about, you know what, we need to speak the end from the beginning. We need to speak the end result from what we see right now naturally. A lot of times, we will, um, we will come to God and we will pray. And we'll be like, Lord, I know that I don't have finance right now. Lord God, I know that I don't have this. God, I know that my family is a wreck. I know that my marriage is falling apart. But Lord God, I know that I know that you can turn it around, God. And even though right now, even though right now we're going through hard times, and even right now it seems impossible, you know what? Stop confessing with your mouth what's what's going on right now. God knows. God knows you ain't got money. God knows that your that your world is falling apart. He does not need you to confess that with your mouth. What you need to do is you need to begin to exercise that faith and say, Lord God, I know that my provision is on the other side. I know that your spirit walks with me daily. I know that you can restore the years. I know that you can bring about the finance. I know that you can bring about this and you can bring about that and you can totally change my world around. God, I'm not going to choose to focus on what I see right here now, but I'm going to choose to focus on what is going to happen, Lord God. You are going to command a blessing. You are going to pour out your favor upon me. You are going to take care of my kids. You are going to make sure that we have everything that we need. You, when you focus on what's going on, when you focus on what's going on right now, it gives the enemy just that foothold that he needs. It gives him just that door. Now, I ain't saying you got the door wide open because you don't. At least, you're, at least you are believing God for some things. But still confessing that allows the enemy to just stick his foot in and say, you ain't closing this door. You ain't getting through here. God, God can hear you, but it's not going to totally be taken care of because I have my foot here. I have my foot here. My foot cannot be moved as long as you are speaking those things out of your mouth. But when you begin to stop speaking that, stop speaking those things, you know, we need to start speaking those things that be not as, as though they were. Like, man, that, that's what the word says. We need to speak those things. You might not see it. It might not be anywhere near you naturally. With your natural eyes, you might not see any of it, but you need to speak it as though it's coming to you tomorrow. Speak the end from the beginning. You know, I, I really feel like that's a word for us. We as a, as a congregation, as a church, we need to start speaking the end from the beginning. We need to, we need to start speaking, Father, I know 
I know that I know that you have that you have the multitudes waiting outside, that they are, com- they are coming in to Legacy Cathedral, that they are coming in, that they will receive salvation. I'm not going to focus on the fact of, of where I am right now, where our congregation is right now. I choose to believe and I choose to know that we are on the verge of something so big that we cannot even comprehend it. That your spirit is alive and well, that your spirit is moving in the hearts of your people, that your spirit is, is, is going to perform miracles in this place, that people are going to be provided for, that you're going to take care of us, that you are bringing in the multitudes. They will come from the east, north, south, and west, Father God, and that we are going to see a mighty church rise up in Charleston, South Carolina, that your spirit is going to have a place to exercise as he wills, that we will, not, we will not bound you, Father God, that you are a God that cannot be bound, and so we choose this day to give you full reign of what we are doing right here in this place. You need to begin to exercise that. You need to begin to speak some of that stuff. And, and, and you know what? And, and, it's, and it's basic principle for the entire body of Christ to understand, but it's a shame that they all don't understand it. It's a shame that everyone doesn't have this understanding, that everyone doesn't have this revelation. And so therefore, the church and the body that does have this revelation, God is going to say, well, I can move there. I might not be able to move in all these other places around the earth, but look right there, Legacy Cathedral, Charleston, South Carolina. I can see that they've aligned themselves with sacrifice, that they've aligned themselves with speaking the end from the beginning, and I can move in that place. And when we commit ourselves to to speaking those things, God is going to move. He has to move. It's his nature. He has to. I mean, he, he has to pour out favor on the sacrifice. It's what he does. We need to align ourselves. Sacrifice is going to build a few things. Sacrifice is going to build our lives. When you begin to sacrifice, you're going to see yourself spiritually enriched. You're going to see yourself um, understanding more of the word. You're going to be able to comprehend more of the word. You're going to um, receive revelation and impartation from more of the word. It's going to totally build your life. Sacrifice is going to build your household. Like we talked about before when the ark was in the house, it said his household and all that belonged to him was blessed. It's not just going to bless you, it is going to bless your entire house. You are going to see, you are going to see checks in the mail. You are going to see gifts and surprises, finding money that was lost, bills paid off, debts demolished, royalties received, and enemies scattered. You're going to see all that kind of stuff when you begin to sacrifice. And, and, and don't, act, don't act surprised. Don't act surprised when you sacrifice and then all of a sudden you, you open your mailbox and there's a check for thousands of dollars. Don't, 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 why is that so surprising? Why is that so surprising to us? We serve a God of heaven. We serve the Lord of hosts. He, he holds all finance, all gold, all riches. Why do we find it so surprising when we receive $5,000 in the mail and think that's the greatest thing ever? You know what? I'm believing for $100,000 in the mail because I'm not going to limit God as to what he can do in my life. Don't, don't be surprised. If you're sacrificing and you're doing the things, man, think big. Think big. Dream big. Expect big expect it. Man, I expect it. I, I, ho- I hope you're catching it. I hope you're catching it today. Expect it. And number three, sacrifice is going to build our church. And that's just what I said a minute ago. Sacrifice is going to build our church. And you know what? Legacy, legacy um, in the grand scheme of churches, especially in Charleston, uh, we are young. We are a baby. I mean, there's churches that have been here for hundreds of years, and, um, and we are so young. But as God is building this work here in this local church, we need to understand one thing. And you need to write this down because everyone needs to get this in their spirit. I think that this is so foundational for us. As a member here at Legacy, you need to take this home with you. And you need to understand this. 
That legacy is not and will never be built on the giftedness and talents of a few, but rather the sacrifice of the many. Legacy is not built on the giftedness and talentness of whatever, whatever, whoever. You know, you might think you have a talent, and if I'm, if I'm not at this church, man, they're going to go under. It ain't built on you. It ain't built on me. Legacy is going to be built on the sacrifice of the many. And as we sacrifice, as the many choose to sacrifice, God's going to build our church. God is going to build our church. He's going to strengthen his people, and we're going to begin to walk into a day. We're going to begin to walk into a new season where God is going to move. He's going to move like never before. I just want to share something uh, real quick with you. And, and um, I, don't think, I don't think Pastor would mind at all. But um, the other day we, we had a meeting with um, you know, his, his 12, and, and I'm in there now. And so we all had this meeting together with some of the guys. And, um, and he said to us, he said one thing. He said that I, he truly believes, in, and he's been praying, obviously, and he prays for us all the time. And, and he's receiving new things from the Lord. And he just said that I believe in my heart that um, right now, that in Charleston, not necessarily just in Legacy, but right now in Charleston, that the Lord is about ready to send three things. He's about ready to send um, rain, wind, and floods. And what he did was, was pastor spoke to us about, about the man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain, wind, and floods came, he stood because he had built his house on the rock. And then, and then I, I had thought about it, and I thought, you know what, here we live in... Um, in, in Hurricane Central. We see hurricanes all the time. And what do hurricanes bring? They bring wind, flood, and rain. That's what they bring. But you know what? Then I began to think about that, and I realized that, you know what? When hurricanes start coming, we understand what? That there's an atmosphere changing, that a season is changing, that summer is leaving us, that fall is about to happen, that there is an atmosphere that is totally transforming. That's why we are seeing wind, rain, and floods. And you know what? Let's flip that over to our spiritual eyes. We are going to see wind in Charleston. We are going to see rain, spiritual rain. And we are going to see spiritual floods because God is beginning to change an atmosphere. He is beginning to change a season. And you know what? We can stand here on Sam Rittenberg Boulevard and know that we know that we know that we have built on the rock. That we have not built a work on the sand. That we will not be moved. We will not be shaken but that we will stand strong and that no matter what kind of wind, rain, floods come, that we have built on the rock. We have built on the rock. And a new season is coming, guys. And, and, and if you're praying and if you're seriously um, getting into your word and seeking out the Lord daily, I believe you'll see it too. I believe you've probably already, you've already felt that in your spirit because I believe God is going to speak that to all of us here as a part of this body and as a part of, of the greater body of Christ in Charleston that, that if we truly seek him out, he's not going to withhold stuff from, from some people and then share it with others. I, I believe that we can all begin to feel that and we'll all begin to see that as we pray and as we seek him that there is an atmosphere that is beginning to change. And, and we are built on the rock and as the atmosphere changes, man, we are moving forward. We are moving forward. We will not be held back. There is not a demon in hell that can come against us when we are moving forward. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And, and right now, um, if you would, I guess just every head bowed and every eye closed. Um, this morning, I just want to I just, I just want to have kind of like one, one invitation, one just thing that we're going to just put out there to everyone. 
And I think that, um, I think that as, as you've heard these words this morning and as you've really, um, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm praying that you caught a hold of some things and I'm praying that you understood some things about sacrifice that you understand that we need to sacrifice that which we do not have. We don't have it. We don't have a lot of it. But you know what? We're going to do what we can to scrounge together whatever we can find, and we're going to sacrifice it to the Lord knowing that he is going to come through. And I think that right now, it's just simple, and I'm not going to waste a lot of time. I'm not going to prepare some awesome, inspiring, moving speech to where people can't help but, um, but, you know, raise their hands and stuff like that. I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to say to you simply that right now, if you feel like, you know what, God, I haven't been sacrificing, that I have maybe only been doing the bare minimum, that I've maybe only been, um, only been giving that which was asked, and I haven't stepped out, and I haven't given um, of myself, I haven't, I haven't made a sacrifice. That if maybe that's you, maybe you're saying, God, I haven't built my household around sacrifice. I haven't I haven't necessarily trained up those in my family to understand sacrifice, God, and I'm so sorry. But I realize right now that you were able to restore years, that you were able to, to turn back time, and that it, it all is not lost, that you were able to do a work right now, and that we can build a household together with you, Lord, around sacrifice. And there, God, you will command a blessing. If you find yourself falling in, in any of those categories, maybe you're just saying, God, I just need, I just need my heart renewed. I just need, um, uh, you know what, I'm catching a little bit of the sacrifice thing, God, but you know what, I, I just need a bit more. I just need a bit more understanding. I need a bit more revelation. And as I get into the word, God, I pray that you would just, um, just open the floodgates of heaven, God, and you would just pour out revelation on my life. Maybe that's you. If you find yourself falling into one of those categories, would you just raise your hand right now? And I'm not going to count to three. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. But if you would just raise your hand and confess before the Father that you understand that you need more sacrifice in your life, that you need more sacrifice. And, and you know what? And you know what's so, it's so confident to me and it makes me so happy that I know that when I, when I admit that to God, when I admit that, Lord, I do need more sacrifice, that he sees that and he's already on the heels of his feet getting ready to move. He's already getting ready to move. You don't have to raise your hand today thinking, I don't know if, I don't know if sacrifice is on the way. I, or, I'm sorry, I don't know if blessing is on the way. I don't know if as I sacrifice, if favor is going to be poured out. You can raise your hand with confidence knowing that you know that as you raise your hand, as you implement sacrifice in your life, in your household, in all that you do, that you will see the favor of God, that you will see him pour out a blessing on his people. It's his nature. He cannot go against it. He cannot go against it. And right now, just where you stand as I pray for you, if you would just pray this in your spirit, because, you know, listening to my words ain't necessarily good enough, and they're not going to do anything for you. My words are not um, super miraculous, powering words, and they're not going to totally transform your life. But when you say this in your spirit, and you get this right, then God is going to begin to move on your situation. God is going to get to change your life. He's going to begin to turn things around, restore the years. So just, uh, you know, pray this in your heart as I pray out loud. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that your spirit is here, that you have moved this morning in the hearts and lives of your people, Father God, that people are willing to stand up and admit that they need you, Father God, that that is the first and 
most important choice they can make is to realize that they are not where they need to be, Father God. And all you say to us is that if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And as these people draw near to you this morning, Father God, as they are crying out to make their lives um, centered around sacrifice right now, Lord, I pray that you would be true to your word. And you, and, and you can't help it, Father God. You will be true to your word, that you will command a blessing where there is sacrifice, that, that you are attracted to the place of sacrifice, that you will provide the hedge, that you will provide the protection that they need, Lord God, that they will begin to see things um, in a new light, that they will see transformation begin to take place. Even this week, God, even this week, Lord, I know that your timing is not our timing, but Father God, I would ask that you would begin right now to start the work, that you would begin right now to pour out your spirit on people, that they would see even this week as they sacrifice some things, that they would begin to see the favor of God on their lives, working in their lives, working through their lives, Father God. And that, you know what, they wouldn't just hold it there, but that they would realize, oh man, this thing of sacrifice, it's real. It's real. And you know what, I need to share this with someone else. I need to share this with someone else because this is too good to hold on to. If, if all I got to do is sacrifice, sacrifice and get myself into word, get myself into the word, if God's going to move and that's all I have to do, man, someone else has got to hear about this. Someone else has got to know about this. And you know what? I pray that it just wouldn't stop with them, but I pray that they would um, be just moved by the Holy Spirit to even take it further than that, Father God, and, and to share some of these precepts with their, with their extended family members and with their coworkers. Father God, I, um, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to build our house, our households as we build your house. As we sacrifice to build your house, Father God, I pray right now over each and every person that has lifted their hand that you would build their household in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that your spirit is alive and well, that you are moving, that you are moving in Charleston, Father God. We thank you that we are on the rock, that we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We give you this morning, God, we give you all praise, glory, and honor for what you have done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Cool, cool. Well, did, did you receive something this morning? And you know, honestly, I honestly hope you did. And um, the key to receiving is expectancy. And we say it all the time, but um, every time I'm on this platform, I'm going to say it again because I think that we never need to forget that it is when we come to church with an expectant heart that we walk out having received something. And you know, if you walk out and you don't feel like you necessarily received, then maybe you need to ask yourself, did I really come with an expectant heart? Did I leave all my baggage at the house, come to the church with clean hands and a pure heart ready to receive the word? And you know what? I, I think when you truly come expectant, you're going to receive every time. And, um, and so if you are visiting with us this morning, um, next week um, our senior pastor will be back speaking, and he always brings a fresh word. He's doing a series right now, and, um, and it's just been amazing, and I, and I know that lives have been changed and transformed, and so he will be back next week. And, um, but for the rest of us here at Legacy, for those of us who are, are in the Wednesday night programs, um, have a good week, but we will see you in the middle of the week. And um, I just pray that God's spirit will go with you and that you will all be safe this week, that his blessings will, will seriously just pour out on your life and that we will see um, amazing reports come next week about what God has done in and through us. And so um, you are released this morning and uh, go and be with the Lord. Have a good lunch. You got out early. Thank you. And um, 